I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, stabilizing tech with the NASDAQ now up five of the past six days and outperforming again today. Is that trade back? We debate it with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal. We'll show you the markets. Carl just said we're working on a pretty good day. Jolts missed, confidence missed, yields fell. That's key. Stocks up. No big shock because that's the way that, right, right. that things have been. As we wind down um, the worst month of the year for the S&P heading into today. Yeah. Worst month of the year, but I don't know. Maybe the tide's turning. What do you think? Well, in the last two weeks, tech is actually up 5%, and that's 35% of the S&P 500 if you include comm services. So mm-hmm. I get it. They, uh, they, they got oversold. But Scott, there's... XLK is still up 38% year to date. So I wouldn't be surprised to see just some consolidation. What I have been encouraged by is the broadening in the market. In the past month, the XLE has outperformed the XLK by 770 basis points. And the XLI, the industrials, have outperformed the XLK in the past month by 200 basis points. So the broadening out is healthy. It's because the economy has hung in, minus the jolts, although jolts are still well above historical averages, but I, I understand why the yields are, are falling on the news today. Um, but I do think the economy is hanging in pretty well. That's what we learned from Powell last week, mm-hmm. that the economy is strong, labor market still tight, and uh, inflation, though, is still persistent. So data dependent, we're all data dependent, and that's exactly what's happening today in the marketplace. Hey, I, I said yesterday we made this checklist, Jim, of the sort of the things that have to go right for September to not live up to its billing of being this historically weak month, although maybe not so much when you've already had a pretty good run into in August like like we've had. And economic data being good but not too good was high on the list. Now, jolts, check, right? Fed wants the labor market to cool a little bit. Confidence, check. Consumer's still doing well, but let's not get off to the races any more than we already have. As now we're about to turn the calendar, how do we see this? Uh, could go either way. I, I mean, I'm data dependent. The Fed's data dependent. The markets are data dependent. And to your point, uh, Scott, you know, September 1st, this Friday, first day of the month, what do we get? We get the labor report. Everybody's going to be paying attention to average hourly earnings, non-farm, non-farm payrolls, et cetera, as the first tell for what inflation did. Not a direct reading of inflation, but the first tell of what inflation did in August and what the Fed might do in September. I still think at the end of the day, this is about inflation and the Fed. Although that story's pretty long, in the tooth. It is pretty long in the tooth. But Steph made a good point about the broadening of the rally. Okay, I want and you want that broadening to continue. Um, I think it will continue if the Fed is done. If the Fed is not done, we're still going to be doing this hand-wringing about a recession. We're not going to know, you know, for a a minute whether the the Fed is done. We had just in the last week or a couple weeks, you know, suggested, well, the 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 mind of this market had changed. It became no longer a buy the dip market. It was a sell the rip market. I mean, the activity of the last week or so would suggest otherwise. Boy, how it changes quickly. That though. it's back to, <laughs> right? to buying the dip. And by the way, HSBC today says we, we think this presents a pretty good tactical entry point into risk assets, above all uh, into U.S. equities. We've seen in many respects, Josh, the, the correction that hasn't happened. You know, we, we started to get a little bit of an upset in the market, and then the conversation was, and all the notes were, all right, 
we are going to have a bigger correction. We could go down 10%. We could, we're due for it, blah, blah, blah. Well, the S&P is down 2.2% in the month of August, which was so terrible. Not really. I have to be honest with you. I think our committee absolutely nailed this summer. Uh, we, we, were, we were long and strong through July, one of the best months ever. Uh, and then in August, during that pullback, I can't think of anyone, any of our regular, regulars in the cast, that said anything other than it's just a little bit of sell the news combined with seasonality, and it's August. Like, these were, you, you're talking about companies that came in, reported earnings with their stock prices up 20% from May, reported amazing earnings, sold off 5%. And people were ready to call for the next bear market. We didn't do that on this show. We don't get everything right, believe me. Um, especially not me. But to a person, Stephanie, Jim, I think we all said stocks are up a lot. It's okay if they retrace some of that rally on a sell the news reaction to earnings. That's all it was. We didn't get more dramatic than that. And so that's what we're living through right now. I want, I want to say one thing here, um, just statistically, try and understand this. Uh, the VIX is now sub-15. It's back at 14 and a half. It's down 4% on the day. The VIX is down 15% in the past week. That entire volatility spike was from the sell the news reactions and earnings. That's, there's no other news that generated that. I'm sorry, but the Fed speech was milk toast. It was, it was exactly what we thought it would be, maybe even more bland. So the VIX hit its low for the year in June. That was probably too low at 12. Uh, we had a, a, a roaring rally in July, uh -huh. and then we gave some of that back. And, and look, even like look at the XLE. It's now back to being positive on the year. It's up 2% on the year. It was down 12% year to date through May. It's 24% off that level, index-wide, which means there are stocks in there that are up 20 30%. Well, we're going to get to that um, later. You, <laughs> we're going okay. to get, we're gonna get right, to I'm, that I'm later. <laughs> Actually, Josh, hold your thought here, too, because I'm told Steve Kovac is, is going to join us right now for a news alert. Uh, seems Apple has sent out an invitation. Is that the case? That is the case, Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is going I'll to be, be there. the expected uh, <laughs> iPhone 15 event. September 12th is the date. Now, look, same thing that we talk about every year, Scott, uh, new iPhones, probably some new watches. Uh, those are going to be the key things. As far as what to expect, Apple has basically uh, admitted they're going to do this. The biggest change to these iPhones is going to be the plug. That charger on the bottom is going to move towards USB-C. That's the kind of universal plug that Android devices use and basically every other gadget on the planet uses now. So we're going to hear a lot about chargers and plugs and, and things like that coming up at this event, Scott. But this is, uh, as expected, September 12th is the date. And they usually start selling those devices uh, a week and a half later. So probably the following Friday is when you can expect to see those new iPhones go on sale, Scott. All right. Good stuff. Steve Kovac, sure. thank you very much. It just lets us continue this conversation about tech, guys, because, again, we're going for six of seven updates on, on the NASDAQ. We asked the question whether tech is stabilizing. That was on the checklist. Has to if September is going to be all right. I want to discuss the fact that, you know, when all these stocks were going up, the knock on it was, oh, it's horrible. It's multiple expansion only. The earnings aren't living up to any of that. Well, I, I want to talk about where valuations have gone from the beginning of August to today versus the historical average for a lot of these stocks. Now, Apple on August 1st was 30 times. Today, it's 27 and a half. Its 10-year average was 18. So it's well ahead of its historical average. However, if you dig deeper into these names, Microsoft today, 28 and a half. 
August 1st, it was 30. Mm-hmm. Historical average, 23. Now it gets interesting. Alphabet, 23 and a half today, 23 and a half on August the 1st, 23 is the 10 year average. Amazon, wow, it's really expensive. Today it's 47 and a half. <laughs> it was 60 on August 1st, the 10 year average is 122. And on and on for NVIDIA and Meta, we, we see that here. My point is that valuations have come in, Steph, so that's one of the, now some of them may still be above their historical averages, but nonetheless, they, they've come down a fair amount in, in some of these cases. Meta, 18 and a half today. August 1st, it was 21. The historical average is 27 and a half. I think out of the entire list, that's actually the most interesting one, right? Um, because it is trading well below its 10-year average at 27 and a half times. It's trading 18 times. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was at 21 times. Only issue I have is that in the past year, it's gone from 14 times to 21 times. So you did have definitely a re-rating. But that is because it's the year of the efficiency. But also the surprise was that revenues are going to start to accelerate. And they are. 11% last quarter, we can do 25, 30% in the sec- second half of the year or sec- in the fourth quarter into the first quarter. The point of it being they have a great product cycle. They don't get enough credit for AI, in my opinion, Scott. Um, AI advertising has been um, real impactful. They said that all of their advertisers are using at least one AI ad. That's number one. And we're mm-hmm. in early innings, right? And it's driving higher engagement, 7% higher for blue, for Facebook. Facebook blue in the past quarter. And so we're just beginning for them. And I just don't think they get the credit. So I think a combination of cutting costs, OPEX, CAPEX, new product cycle, AI, the lack of appreciation, in my opinion. And then you have this multiple pulling back. You know I was trimming mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I'd absolutely buy it back if we see a little bit more of a pullback. Say we do get the volatility in September. I feel like one of the stories that hasn't gotten talked about enough, Josh Brown, uh, is Alphabet. Alphabet's up yeah. 54%. Say it. Okay, listen to this, okay? Alphabet's up 54% year to date. And I mention it and I go to you first because I know you want it. And Jimmy, I'm going to come to you too. So they hold this event today, Google Cloud Next, out in San Francisco. Now, NVIDIA gets all the love. Microsoft gets a lot of that love too. Now, it was on January 23rd that Microsoft announced that $10 billion investment in OpenAI. Everybody was like, oh, my God, Microsoft's kicking everybody's butt in AI. Google's dropped the ball. They had DeepMind in-house. They did nothing. They lost the race to AI before everybody even got to the starting gate. Now, that was wrong. Listen, May 1st, the likes, you know, Brad Gerstner came on, sold it. He said, you know, they dropped the ball. And that really reflected where market sentiment was at that moment. The prevailing view was that Alphabet dropped the ball and everybody else had this massive head start into where AI was going to go. Well, you want to know what Alphabet and Microsoft have done since January the 23rd? Alphabet's up 38 percent. Microsoft is up 36 and a half. The point being that the demise of Alphabet was greatly exaggerated. Um, And I don't think it gets talked about enough. Yo, play the tape of me saying that because... (laughs) Now, come on. I said that for like three months. What are you people talking about? There is no AI without Alphabet. What are we, what are we doing here? Uh, anyway, listen, I'm going to make this very, very simple for you. Uh, not for you, for like the collective, the royal you. The collective you. you. Mm-hmm. The collective us. Uh, you don't, right. No, like all kidding aside, look at my face and listen to me speak, okay? 
So I choose my words very carefully, and I hate repeating myself. YouTube is bigger than Netflix. Do you understand that? This is a $1.7 trillion market cap, and if YouTube were standalone, you have no idea what its valuation would be. It's not standalone, it's a part of Apple. It's bigger than Netflix. It has a higher annual run rate than Netflix revenue. I'm serious, that's true. Has more users than most of the other streaming platforms combined. And if you talk to somebody who's under 30, they don't live any sort of lifestyle without YouTube being front and center. Everything else is a secondary or tertiary option for their entertainment. YouTube is about 8.5% of all TV viewing. So we talk about like who's going to buy Netflix and Disney Plus. Can they get from 100 million to 102 million subs? And who cares? YouTube is already far beyond all of those platforms. And that's just one part of the alphabet story. So I am bullish here. I never believed this narrative that OpenAI, a not-for-profit thing that started 10 minutes ago, was all of a sudden going to beat, uh, beat Google search up. It didn't play out that way, and it never will. And that's why I remain long the, long the stock. One other thing, Steph, no offense. Five-year numbers. Uh, I, bet, I bet most people don't know this. You probably do. Alphabet is compounding at 16% a year for shareholders. Meta is 10. That okay, is a but that's because huge last year disparity. was horrific. But that was because last year the stock was Whatever. down 60% on the year. Come on, that's just ridiculous. Saying. We've now seen just, a reacceleration. Stop. That is not that. <laughs> apples and oranges, John. These are the Sorry. numbers. No, These no, are the numbers. apples and oranges. The point, though, you want Jim, to know the 10 year number? Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Jim owns Alphabet, too. Um, I own oh, what big, a diff- oh, what a difference seven to eight months makes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. From where that narrative was on that day where Alphabet was getting crushed, both stock-wise and narrative-wise. So let's talk about this. And first, thank you, Josh. Thank you very much. I share your your enthusiasm. I'm going to dare to say anger about what was going on six, seven, eight months ago. I'm not only long this stock. You know, Scott, and most people know I'm underweight tech, but I'm actually overweight Google Alphabet uh, versus the S&P 500 because the multiple has been so easy to digest for so long. And that instance, I forget if it was December or January, where they stumbled out of the gate on BARD. It gave some wrong answers. Stock went down below 100. That was an opportunity to load up on this stock. Let Josh, me reiterate, 100% with you. 23 and a half times today, 23 and a half times on August 1st, 23 times is the 10-year historical average it for the forward PE. It is very digestible. And to even, you know, hang on one second, Steph. To even people like me, and I'm going to dare stay Steph, Steph as well, who really pay attention to multiples. And maybe we look at 23 and say, ah, eh, it's a little high. Not for an asset light, uh, cash-heavy company like Google. This isn't like, you know, you're buying Caterpillar, which I happen to like. Don't, don't be offended. Uh, at 23 times. This is Google. This is asset light, cash-flowing machine. Okay, but then I, I don't have beef with Alphabet at all because I don't think it's all that expensive. I just happen to think I, that Meta got, is a lot got, more. You got drawn into this. I you don't think, have to. Think, you don't have to take I, the bait. No, but I think Meta is actually cheaper, and I think there's more upside because no one appreciates the acceleration that we're about to see in the total revenue story. The issue I was about to bring up was Apple. I don't understand. Well, they why. have to appreciate Meta. I mean, it's up 150 percent year to date. Yeah, so what s- was underappreciated is now seemingly caught up to itself. I don't know about. I don't know about that. I mean, yeah, I, I, maybe I would agree with you. That's why I've been trimming it. But I still think that there's a story here with all these products and the AI just beginning for the, this company and the free cash flow and the cost cuts. I think it's and again and the valuation is pretty good, right? But I would say for Apple, I just want to switch for half a second because I know you own. It. Mm-hmm. 
I don't understand why you pay 27 and a half times, which is well above their historical average for like seven Maybe. to nine percent. I'll give you a few growth. reasons. Maybe you will on September 12th. Okay. I mean, I'll give you a few. When I, just, they, I, I mean, this is their moment, right? The September upgrade cycle is everything. I hope I don't need that white thingy in for my for the charger. Oh, I you're going to need. I hope they get rid of that. Though. But no, yeah, but that my, my point being, I don't mind paying 18 times for 25 percent revenue growth, right? Or accelerating revenue growth and operating leverage, as we talk about all the time. I don't know what you're you're really getting in terms. I mean, I would say double digits, obviously, for Alphabet. Okay, I get that. I get YouTube. I understand their assets. I've owned it in the past. No, but maybe you got to pay up being, a little more for the most most powerful installed base in the history of technology. I don't know. I, I just think that's a lot. I think that's a. I think it's a really expensive multiple for what you're getting, and I think you can find other names at cheaper valuations. So the other one, speaking of AI, Broadcom, which yeah. I'm coming back to you on because they report Thursday. Yeah. Um, and this is the one that people say. You know, you get a lot of the, the bang for that you get with NVIDIA, but you get it for a cheaper buck because the valuation is not the same. Right. Right. Today it gets the, the target raised uh, to 925 from 830 at Piper Sandler. Thursday after the bell. It's up 50 percent in six months. I know. You saw what happened to NVIDIA when it was up 50% in three months, and it reported a blowout quarter again. Yeah. So what no. does that mean? I know, and it started the year again at 14 times forward, and it's now at 21 times, right? So it's had a nice run. The expectations are really high. I think they're going to deliver. I love the diversification that this company offers. AI cloud, data center networking. Apple is a 20% customer. So I like the diversification. It's not a pure play AI like the NVIDIA story. So I get why NVIDIA trades at a higher multiple, but I think this is really growth at a reasonable price. They've got 18 billion in free cash flow, 9 billion buyback left on the docket. They're probably going to raise their dividend next quarter, which they usually typically do. And AI networking is going to go from 10% last year of total revenues to maybe 25% next year. That's real growth, in my opinion. And that's why I say 21 multiple for that kind of growth, I can live with. Jimmy, you just bought NVIDIA. Why'd you choose NVIDIA over Broadcom, right? Um, well, look, NVIDIA is in a class by itself, I feel. Broadcom's a fabulous stock. I'm not taking anything away from it. But I feel like as far as AI goes, there's something special about NVIDIA. Look, you took the numbers that they're putting up, the billions of dollars of revenues that they're beating on a consistent basis leads me to believe that that's going to continue to happen. I got they're you, also, but you're a valuation-sensitive person. Which is why, and this is a great point. I mean, this is a great point for the viewers to know. I have heartburn buying this stock. I do. <laughs> now, I th frankly, it's up from where I bought it, so I'm happy. But what, I've, what I'm doing, and I've said this all along, I bought a 1% position of a stock that's likely to be 4 or 5% a year from now in my portfolio. My hope is that there's going to be some moments like last week where I can add to it, but there is no way to expect that this stock is going to trade at, you know, mid-teens or even mid-20s multiples anytime soon. Not unless something goes dramatically wrong fundamentally, operationally at the company, which there is no sign of. There's no whiff, no hint of it. Um, they simply can't produce enough of the chips to meet demand, which means they're going to control price. And that seems like it's going to go on for a long time. So it's a money machine right hit, now. Hit Salesforce for me, too. They report tomorrow after the bell. Speaking of stocks that have done a lot, multiples a little higher. Uh, it's up 60% year to date. It's trading I at sold it. 20, I don't know, 28, 29 forward. Yeah. I shouldn't I have sold it. I think around that. 
I did sell it. And, and here's what you do with it now. Look, I'm not inclined to get back into it. I've got a portfolio of other things that I like really well. We talk about, we're going to talk about one of them later on, so I'm not going to tease that now. But with Salesforce, 28 times uh, forward, actually this year's earnings, which, which ends in January, that's a pretty forgiving multiple. It's hard to see them doing something so terrible on their earnings that the stock goes down meaningfully. The question is, will the revenue growth rate support future rate, uh, price hikes from here? price rises in the share price. We're just going to have to wait and see. The one thing that concerns me about me is who at a major enterprise level does not use Salesforce already? Wait, the one thing that concerns you about you? No, 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 about Salesforce. No, seriously, like if you're the... You did just say that, though. I was a Freudian slip. I I get it. It's okay. Got a lot of thoughts in my mind. The one thing that concerns me about me. Did I say that? You did. You did. And you're going to let me off that easily? No, okay, I'm not. Gonna, That's why gonna, I brought it up to underscore on. it. We're going to move on. Underscoring if it. If you're a big company, Scott, and you're the CTO of a big a big company, and you don't have Salesforce in your IT lineup, what are you thinking? Meaning most companies already have Salesforce. So the growth which is, is why, questionable. Which is why total revenues are only going to grow up about 10, 10.9% in the quarter. That would be disappointing. Okay, let, let's do this. Let's squeeze a break in um, because we have a number of moves to get to it in our next block. Uh, Josh has sold a name that he's talked about a number of times. Stephanie has sold one, trimmed one, bought more of a couple things. We'll do it next. We're working on a good day. There, stocks Dow's up 231. I mentioned we have a number of committee moves to get to. Josh Brown, Dutch Bros, no more. Why'd you sell yeah. it? Uh, I was wrong on the stock. I've been wrong for a while. They just uh, fired the CEO, who I think was like the guy that got them to be able to go public, but has really failed in his you know, seven or eight quarters talking to Wall Street. Um, they, they have had good results, but the stock price just never worked. So they got rid of him. They brought in uh, someone who is the president, is now going to be the CEO, and she comes from Starbucks. And I, I'm, I'm sure she'll find a way to better communicate with the street. Uh, but they've just been terrible at it, and I don't want to wait anymore. I had some opportunities to buy some other things that I like better. Uh, I added to uh, Next Era and EE under 70, which I think is a steal. I also added to Toast, which I think over the next couple of years could conceivably double or more if they execute. And I just like those opportunities better than waiting for Dutch Bros to get its act together. So it was not a difficult trade for me to make. Yeah. Um, It's funny, you know, Josh referenced Starbucks. You sold it. Yeah. How long you owned it for? Two years. Why'd you sell it now? Well, I, I took gains. It's up, I was up 57 percent. I was up 57 percent, um, and uh, I, I still like the story. I'm a little worried about their pricing power and the price points and how high it is. Uh, even as inflation comes down and consumer state hangs in, I, I just don't know if they're going to get the pricing that I initially expected. But I still very strongly believe in the China rebound and the opportunity for the company. And so, if the stock were to pull back, Scott, I would absolutely buy back. Um, I'm actually considering taking that money 
money and buying more Nike because Nike has been miserable, and I think it's yes, better value. Yes, that had that historic relative. losing streak. Yeah, and that's what and what I and I think that there's a better opportunity, right? So Starbucks is perfectly fine if you have a long-term time horizon, you hold on to it. I needed the cash because I wanted to buy other things. You know, I have a new position in CDW, mm-hmm. and and a, let, a little bit of that thought is they have 30% exposure to PCs, and I think PCs are bottoming, especially if you listen to AMD last quarter and you listen to Intel. Both saw sequential increases. Best Buy said something to that effect that PCs are bottoming today. Mm-hmm. So I like that story a lot. Um, and then Lamb. I mean, you know, I've, I've sold Lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, it's down 7% in the past month, and I still think it's a great story. Uh, the earnings power is substantial. Margins are going higher. The market share gains are substantial. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the WFE spend, we're in the bottoming process. I don't know if we're bottoming this quarter or next, but I wanted to have a bigger position. Okay. By the way, I did trim yeah. Ingersoll Rand just, um, just because it's had such a nice run. I'm still 400 basis points overweight. Okay, so you bought more lamb, bought more CDW, trimmed IR, Ingersoll Rand, but I want to get back to Starbucks for okay. a moment. Mm-hmm. When you say you, you, you still love the story, um, what's there to love about a stock that's done absolutely nothing year to date and is 14.5% from its 52-week high? No, I mean, it's- And there's worries about China. What's, what's there to love? I think there, there are worries about China, and I don't buy it. Because I think to have 46% comps last quarter in China is, is amazing. Well, why has the stock done nothing? Because I think people are nervous overall about China and that it's not sustainable. That's number one. And that number two, I think people are also nervous about the price points. But this, is a, this could be a size and scale, great balance sheet, good management team. We have a new CEO, has to prove himself for sure, although at Reckitt he was very good. Um, but I think that it's not cheap at 28 times forward. It got as high as 32 times. So, I mean, it's just not done anything. After two years, though, it has had a very nice run from the lows. In 2020, it's up 72%. So it's had a nice run. Um, I just think maybe it takes a breather for a little bit longer, and we'll see if it continues to do nothing or pull back, then maybe I'll buy it back. Farmer Jim. Steph, I'm with you on this, on both names. Now, I'm being a little bit price sensitive here on Nike. If I get this 10% lower, I am in big. Historically, you're waiting for times a 10, You're waiting for 10% lower than, Nike just had a historic losing streak, like 12, 12 days. Follow me on You're this. waiting for another 10%? Yeah, I think that's wise to do. I mean, historically, that's where I've made good money is buying this stock in the low to mid-20s. And that would be a 24 times forward multiple. But Steph's making a great point here, okay, because Starbucks, a little different hair on this dog. I'm yep. not even going to call it a dog. But if it comes down another 10%, guess where it is? It's at that same 24-ish time multiple, 24, 25 times multiple. So if, well, I mean, you know, Jim, no, no, wait, if every wait, stock wait. in the market comes down another 10%, the multiples get cheaper. I, I, you know. Wait, Scott, I mean, there is a little bit, you're missing my point, so I'll try to make it clear. There are, these are similar stocks. They're yeah, they similar are. stocks. They, they are. Okay. If, if your disapprobation about my waiting, I like that word, about my waiting <laughs> on Nike is yeah. correct, maybe I'll get it with Starbucks. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. Josh Brown, do you have a take on, um, on these, including Nike? I'd love to hear your perspective if you have one. Uh, Nike's probably a 52-week low coming very soon. Uh, this is not a convincing enough bounce for me to get interested in on, in terms of price action. And, you know, like buying it on the valuation really doesn't tell you about what the next 30 to 60 days will do. So if you're a trader, there's nothing here to do. And if you're an investor, you probably would ignore any, any signal coming from price. And you're probably buying it, you know, based on a valuation that just, like, makes sense to you in your own head. 
but I, I don't understand the setup. Actually, it has more in common with Disney than you think, and that's not uh, meant in a good way. Um, Starbucks, you know, again, if you're a trader, this is not, there are a lot of stocks making 52-week highs. This well, is just hold, hold, not on your radar. Hang on a second, hang on yeah. a second. You, you made a reference to, to Disney, which, which has, has been a terrible stock. Uh, why do you make the, the equation there between the two? They have the same, the, same, the same type of shareholder. These are like classic blue chip, Dow component, growth at a reasonable price, highly visible consumer brands. They're global businesses. They're great businesses. They're just not always great stocks. So Starbucks, Nike, Disney, uh, yeah, these Disney are has, the same people are, are the owners of these stocks. Disney has huge competition. Starbucks has no competition. I agree. So it's not. I agree. It, it's not. Well, a, that's Disney not true. Has, it's has not. Under, no, it's not. Disney has underperformed because they have a lot of problems in a lot of their businesses, and you haven't made money in this stock in forever. At least in Starbucks, you actually have. They have size and they have scale. They have huge opportunities for growth around the world. And so and in one area in particular, as we talk about all the time, in China, that's been problematic. But eventually that consumer is going to, we're seeing the reopen. We're seeing it in Macau. Jim knows that. He sees that. I'm seeing it in, even in Estee Lauder, which has been horrible. But a lot of companies on the consumer side, and they're facing China, they're actually starting to see a recovery. And that's one of the reasons why I think Starbucks hasn't done that well. Disney, totally different animal. I mean, you know, streaming is really hard. They, they have to fix that. And they have to spend a lot of money at the same time they're cost cutting and they're cost cutting on content so so t look i owned disney and i sold it thankfully i made a little bit of money and now i'm not involved but i have no interest in getting back into that one whereas in starbucks should we see a pullback further then i might get back in josh real quick and i'm gonna take a break i don't disagree with what she's saying and if i had to rank these three like which one would i which one would i most uh prefer to buy the dip on, it would definitely be Starbucks. I've owned the stock before. I've traded it multiple times. I think it's great. Um, I don't agree that they have no competition. I think where I would, what I would say to Stephanie is everyone has competition. Starbucks is just doing really well versus its competitors, and Disney right now is not. All right, the headlines from Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott, the National Hurricane Center has updated its forecast on the potential storm surge from Hurricane Idalia as it approaches Florida's Big Bend region. It is now warning of catastrophic storm surge inundation of 10 to 15 feet above ground level in that area. Governor DeSantis has mobilized the National Guard and President Biden has approved a disaster declaration. One of the congressional committees investigating fraud during the pandemic is demanding the Justice Department and turnover materials that detail COVID relief money stolen by international criminal groups. The GOP-controlled House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic made the request in a letter obtained exclusively by NBC News. The Labor Department's latest estimate of total fraud during the first 18 months of the pandemic $47 billion. And the Kremlin says Russian President Vladimir Putin would not attend the funeral for Yevgeny Prigozhin. Allies of the Wagner chief posted a note on social media in the last hour saying a farewell ceremony has taken place. Scott? Appreciate that, Silvana. And now up next, the Bitcoin breakout, the big headline today that has the entire crypto complex rallying. The details are next.
We're back and we're following new developments in the crypto world today as a U.S. federal court paves the way for the first ever Bitcoin ETF. Bob Pisani here at Post 9 with the details. It only makes sense that you do this as the host of ETF Edge. I mean, you know more about this space than anybody. Well, it's an exciting development, and this, this may be a, a, a really big development here. So we had a D.C. court ruled in favor of Grayscale in challenging the SEC decision to deny allowing them to convert their Bitcoin trust to an ETF. This was a big court case. The D.C. court agreed with Grayscale. And they said the Bitcoin exchange traded product is materially similar to the Bitcoin futures exchange products that the SEC had already approved. The court said, I'm quoting here from the court case, the denial of Grayscale's proposal was arbitrary and capricious because the commission failed to explain its different treatment of similar products. The court concluded that the NYSE ARCA had presented substantial evidence that Grayscale is similar across the relevant regulatory factors to Bitcoin futures ETPs. The commission failed to adequately explain why it approved the listing of two Bitcoin futures but not Grayscale's proposed Bitcoin ETP. In the absence of a coherent explanation, this unlikely, this unlike regulatory treatment of like products is unlawful. That's a pretty harsh condemnation here. So where does this leave a spot Bitcoin ETF? Well, it certainly puts pressure on the SEC. Now, recall that ARK's application for a spot Bitcoin ETF was published in the Federal Register on May 15th. Now, they've got a maximum time of 240 days, the SEC, to approve or deny the application. That would put maximum time January 10, 2024. There's other applications in from BlackRock, Van Eck, Invesco, and others. So what's next? It doesn't necessarily mean we will get approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF soon. The SEC could appeal. That's potential. And there are potential other issues around custody, for example. My sense is I've read this um, mm -hmm. pretty carefully. I'm sure you have. It's pretty harsh. And so, yes, they could appeal. My sense is it's so harsh that they'd have to come back with some pretty strong arguments, and they may decide simply not to appeal at this point. Well, I mean, they if could it gets put it away for up until January, potentially, but an appeal becomes less likely because it's so harsh. If it gets approved, I mean, theoretically, it just opens the floodgates for these products. Yes. From, from anybody and everybody who is in that business. Yes, and there, there are seven or eight that are out there. I'll tell you what happened here. They got caught up in their own logic. They were under pressure to approve a Bitcoin ETF. They didn't want to because the concerns about manipulation on these on these Bitcoin exchanges, legitimate concern. So they said, OK, we're not doing that, but we're going to approve a Bitcoin futures ETF. And the court saw through that. The court said, these are like products. You approve one, it didn't approve the other. You can't hide behind the idea that this is a regulated product because it's a futures product. The court saw through that, and that was the logic trap. The, the tragedy is it doesn't make these concerns about manipulation on the exchanges yeah. go away. Those issues are still there. The court just said, uh-uh, you're precluded. You already approved the futures one. Let's get, Josh, what's your, what's your take here? I know you have because you've talked about this in the past. I would say the most interesting uh, immediate reaction to this is the rally in Coinbase. Uh, for me, that 15% rally, I think it was up as much as 17% uh, today, is very counterintuitive because if you introduce a retail-friendly product that can be held in normal brokerage accounts in a wrapper that every retail investor knows how to use, like a Bitcoin spot ETF, especially if you end up with seven of them, including something from Fidelity, something from BlackRock, Van Eck will do one, et cetera. If that happens, what does anyone honestly need to use Coinbase for if they're primarily doing 
uh, Bitcoin and ETH, which is basically the whole market cap of crypto right now. So that stock rallying is strange unless it's short covering because people think it means the SEC is running out of steam and momentum and, and will maybe be per curtailed from bringing more suits. I, I'm not a, a lawyer, so I have no opinion on that. But uh, my best guess is volumes for Coinbase quarter over quarter, I, th I think are like 50 billion or 20 billion. I don't think that gets better with the introduction of seven new Bitcoin ETFs. I think it actually gets worse. So that's an interesting counterintuitive move to just uh, bring out here. Jimmy, what's your take? Um, I think Bob pointed out one of the, the big things that this doesn't solve is the manipulation. It doesn't solve some other issues as well. Um, the fact that it's used off, off some, often in ransomware, um, the fact that there is actually an infinite supply of cryptocurrencies out there. I mean, this, this is still not something I would invest in. All this does is make speculation easier. Now, speculation... You wouldn't invest, you wouldn't invest any of your client assets into Bitcoin ETFs if they absolutely were... Absolutely not. Hmm. Absolutely not. And here's why. It is speculative. Now, speculation is not a bad word, okay? People make money speculating, but my clients come to me having already made their money through hard-earned work. They want me to invest in something that they and I know and understand. I can't tell you which way Bitcoin or any of these cryptocurrencies go is going to move. I can tell you there's an infinite supply of cryptocurrencies. You get the so you didn't list all the, I mean, I know you know them, Bob, but you didn't list all the risks that this doesn't solve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, last point. I, I, look, most of us are neutral on the question of Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin, although I, blockchain is a very exciting technology. Course, I am yes. a big believer in blockchain. I know you are, Stephanie, as well. Uh, uh, decentralized finance, smart contracts, brilliant uses. This is an offshoot of, of course, the blockchain. And I think there are some legitimate issues about whether there's a, a, a really strong use case that can be made for it. But I believe very strongly in that technology. All right, good stuff, Bob. Thank you. Okay, that's Bob Pisani. Up next, Mike Santoli. He'll be here for his midday word just a couple minutes away. Welcome back, Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli here with us. It's no longer a buy-the-dip market. Yeah, I had to go back to that, right? That was a, just a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Goldman's flow folks saying that. Look, they were talking about some of the intraday mechanics and the zero-day options. It seemed like the dealers were going to be uh, more postured toward pushing the market lower into supply. Whatever the takeaway was, clearly not enough changed Below the surface, in other words, earnings estimates have continued to inch higher in the last few weeks. Yields, yep, they got scary for a little while. Yep. Threatened to break out. Maybe they still will, but for now, they're still in the range that, we, uh, that we've seen in the last several months. It's not fall. I mean, look at today, right? Yeah. Yields down, the data, you know, jolts and, right. and confidence. It's part of the part of the important story that needs to be told this that week Goldie with the Locks other data. Has made a reappearance to a degree. Nothing in the jolts data, of course, is inconsistent with you know what this economy is going to decelerate fast and the job market's going to stall. But we're just not there yet. So you know you can kind of frame it however you like. But for now, it takes the edge off the runaway yield story. We didn't really have to reprice the Fed path very much after Powell. So that's something yeah. you could at least say. All right, maybe a bullet dodged at that moment. So. Again, 
Still not a cheap uh, market. We got above the 50-day average in the S&P. It now looks like we broke that up, that downtrend that was in place since the peak uh, in late July and see where it goes from there. Want to address tech real quick? I mean, NASDAQ's an outperformer yet yeah. again, and it's been a nice comeback after, you know, the sky's falling in tech. Well, yeah. I don't know, not so much. It was the outperformer on the way up. It had a little bit of a sharper reset lower, real proper correction in a lot of the biggest stocks. So we'll see if, again, if that was enough. Um, watching NVIDIA for sure, up a few percent today. Still, you know, looking up at that intraday high that mm-hmm. it put in and the reflex after the results above 500. So All we'll right. see. Good stuff. I'll see you on closing bell. Okay. All right, Mike Santoli. Coming up, it's in a league of its own. That is what one firm is calling this sector. We're going to tell you about only group in the green over the last month. Stephanie making a move there as well. We'll get specific next. Welcome back. Energy, the only sector in the green this month. All right, Steph, you made a move. We referenced it. You bought more of a Dow component. Yeah? Yeah. Chevron. Chevron. Tell me why. Yeah, it's, the stock has acted poorly re- relative to the rest of the group, right? It's down 12%. It trades at 12 times earnings. You get a 3.8 yield. I've always liked it. I like their diversified revenue mix, right? Upstream, downstream chemicals. Nat gas is 25% of their mix, which I don't think gets enough attention on. They have a $3 billion buyback, 7% net debt. I like it. I think it's going to play catch up if energy continues to go. I still think energy is going to continue to go. You know, Josh, I recall you saying that you thought energy was poised for a move higher. Strategus points out they call it in a league of its own. Most stocks above the 50 and 200 day moving averages for a market that has seen momentum erode all summer. The energy sector remains the noted exception in our work, impressively sporting 100 percent of constituents above the 50-day moving average and over 90% above the 200-day. Yeah, the, listen, these stocks did not budge uh, in August. Most of them were going up in a time where a lot of other stocks were correcting that had outperformed them. Um, but gas prices at the pump just experienced their fourth largest increase during the summer season since 2004. So there's some notable action here, not just in crude and natural gas, but uh, in some of the related products. So I like this group. I think they're under-owned once again. They had an amazing year in 2022. The earnings then caught up to the, the stock prices. Now they've consolidated for seven, eight months. I think they can be bought. I own IEO, which is an index ETF, owning all of the domestic producers. Uh, and then I added a little bit of rig as like mm-hmm. a speculative play and mostly because Jimmy's so handsome and he talked me into it. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy owns rig as well. Uh, Chenier and ExxonMobil. I'm a big believer in the energy space. Scott, uh, uh, Josh, you're handsome too. Thank you, my friend. Uh, I, I think there's a ton of fundamental reasons to be long energy here. Uh, natural gas is way too low for what is still going to be a supply shortage in Europe this winter. We have to fill the, street, uh, the strategic petroleum reserve. And what happens if China does break out of its malaise? Demand is going to go up. Uh, supply is constrained. Uh, not only overseas, but here in the U.S. I mean, it's harder and harder to get shale oil out. So uh, I love a really uh, more more high beta play like Transocean. I think that's a great way to get the best bang for your buck. ExxonMobil, Chevron, Texaco, I look at them as twins. Mm-hmm. They're great here. Roughly 10 times earnings, 3% dividend yield. Why wouldn't you own them? Last thing on this, if you look at the XLE, all it's done this year is consolidate the two years worth of gains before that. That's a setup for another leg higher. Okay. Quick thought on that? 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm, I'm 10% overweight, my benchmark in the uh, in my portfolio in energy. Um, I have a big, big weighting in SLB, Slumberger, as you very well know. That's my biggest position, but Chevron's catching up. And Diamondback Energy, also very cheap at nine times forward estimates, cutting costs and really good assets. So I think there's plenty you can choose from. Okay, we will uh, step away for a couple. We'll come back. We'll do final trades on the other side. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. Well, it's setting up to be a really interesting market day. We'll walk you right up to the end of it. See where we close today. Cameron Dawson, Malcolm Etheridge, Low Tony is going to talk to us about tech. And Kevin Simpson, he's always got some trades going on. So we'll reveal the latest ones, 3 o'clock Eastern time. I hope all of you will join me. Josh Brown, final trade, you're first. Staying long alphabet, playboy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Book ending our show with uh, with G-O-O-G-L, Farmer Jim. In honor of my playa, Josh there, we're going to go with Transocean. Um, forget the downturn over the last month. It's absolutely meaningless. What you're looking for here is those idle rigs to be put on contract. They're going to be put on contract at high day rates. Just wait, and then the stock will rise. That was horrible. Don't do that ever again. You're right. I, you I know. know. I, that was, not yeah. everything works. No, Seriously. No, that, no, that definitely did not. Don't do that again. <laughs> Got it. Box checked. <laughs> Stephanie Link. Uh, Alonco. Uh, it's trading on 14 times earnings. It's down 3% in the year. You know I'm a big fan of animal health, growing at 15, growing a 10% CAGR, $59 billion industry. They have a great pipeline. This is a spin from Eli Lilly from 2018 that went bust. It was done at $24 a share. The stock's at about 12 So I like the valuation and the story. And so I'm, I'll all be right. buying it. All right. Good stuff. See you all in closing bell. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.